Now, one thing that I have found as I uh, read through the scriptures, particularly when I'm reading uh, through a, a text of scripture in preparation for a sermon, is that sometimes you prepare for, for a sermon or you're sitting down to, to read and study the scriptures and, and the message is just kind of self-evident. You know, it just kind of naturally arises out of the text. It, it, it seems like you sit down and, and you read through, whether it be the words of Jesus or, or the words of Paul, and just this beautiful announcement of the gospel uh, arises right out of the pages of scripture. And, and then other times, it, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, maybe the, the language is challenging. Uh, it, it's a little bit harder to, to really center in on, on what this text of Scripture is saying. And then you have readings like this gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 25, Jesus' parable of, of the sheep and the goats. And it's an incredibly difficult text but not because it's difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I would say it's an incredibly difficult text because it's incredibly simple and straightforward to understand. Jesus teaches his disciples and says very plainly, as, as the shepherd gathers the nations around him and divides between the sheep and the goats, the sheep, those who have done these righteous deeds of mercy, will inherit eternal life. And the goats, those who have neglected these righteous deeds of mercy, they will inherit eternal fire and judgment. And this text is is difficult. It's troubling for, for a variety of reasons. It's troubling because on the surface it sounds incredibly works righteous. It sounds almost contrary to the gospel. If this is the only teaching of Jesus that we had, we might be wrestling with what it is that really grants eternal life. And on the flip side, it also just sounds incredibly harsh. That these sheep and the goats... Who, who both have no idea that they've even done or neglected to do these things. Some are granted life, others judgment. And, and I'll be honest that as I sat down earlier this week and, and kind of took a look at the text that we're assigned for today, I, I read the gospel lesson first and my initial response was, not preaching that. <laughs> I think uh, the epistle lesson is maybe a little bit more suited for for this Sunday. And and I I really, to be totally honest, I I just could not get away from this text. It it just sort of ate away at me throughout the week. I kept thinking about sheep and goats and sheep and goats and, and how on earth... Could I ever actually know if I'm really even a sheep in light of this text? And and I think that sometimes God, through his word, he sort of intends to just kind of back us into a corner. Where really the only option that we have is, is to sort of throw ourselves into the word of God. To, to turn to that word, to trust it more deeply or, or to flee from it entirely. And so I kind of want to take a moment to, to lean into some of the discomfort that this text brings about. 
Because I think that, that by doing that, by, by considering some of the difficulty of this text, we, we can actually begin to discover a few things about what Jesus says here that really are genuinely good news for God's people. And, and so we pick up what Jesus says in verse 31, and, and throughout this portion of Matthew, Jesus is, is teaching, it, it takes on a very eschatological tone. He starts teaching about the end times, about what is going to happen when the Son of Man departs and then returns again. And so he tells them this parable in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Now there's certainly a a lot more there in Jesus' words than than I'm going to try and and unpack. But but one thing that, that I want to highlight and I want to note here is that the sheep and the goats on this day, when they're gathered around Jesus, when all the nations are gathered around Him, they are already sheep and goats. They don't become sheep and goats on Judgment Day. And and another thing on top of that is that the sheep do not become sheep because of what they've done. They were already sheep. In other words, sheep do sheep things. That that when you are a sheep, you live like a sheep. In other words, the righteous live righteously. Now this is incredibly important for how we understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not teaching a message of works righteousness. Jesus is not saying, if you stack up enough things, then you'll become a sheep and you will inherit the kingdom. No, Jesus is saying to his listeners, he's saying to us, he's saying, are you sheep? Yeah? Good, great, you're sheep. Now go and live like sheep. Those who have been made righteous live righteously. Sheep do sheep things. It is our identity as sheep that cause us to live and embrace these righteous deeds of mercy. These are the things that flow naturally out of our life, out of our identity as disciples in Jesus. We are sheep, and therefore we live like sheep. We are righteous, therefore we live righteously. 
And if you examine these things, what do they reflect? They reflect precisely the way that our God has treated us in Jesus. That when we had nothing, when we were naked, hungry, He clothed and He fed us. That on the cross of Jesus, our God has declared plainly how deeply loved we are. And so what do we do in response? We go and we love. In in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, He has made us alive together with Him. So what do we do? We go and, and we seek to bring life in the face of death. When we have received mercy, we desire to go and give mercy. I think if I were to sum this all up, I would, I would put it like this. Sheep do not fret about whether or not we will inherit the kingdom. Rather, sheep desire to experience the kingdom by listening to the voice of our shepherd. Sheep desire to experience the kingdom by listening to the voice of their shepherd in everything. Sheep are not sheep part-time. Right? You're a sheep or you're not. Neither are disciples of Jesus disciples part-time. We listen to the voice of our shepherd Jesus in everything. In the way that we use our time, in the way that we use our pocketbook, in the way that we use our sexuality and our resources, everything. We subject all of it to the voice of Jesus. His is the voice that shapes how we seek to live. His is the voice that shapes what we love and what we desire. Not the voice of of the news. Not the voice of political talking heads and celebrities. Not the voice of our, our favorite pop culture blogs and magazines. We listen to the voice of our shepherd. And in doing so, he promises that we will experience a taste of his kingdom in part right now. And in full when he returns. Sheep do not fret about whether or not we will inherit the kingdom. Sheep desire to experience the kingdom right now by listening to the voice of our shepherd. And people of God, he has not hidden his voice from us. It's present with us here as we gather in worship and and gather around the words of the apostles and the prophets and the patriarchs. Our God continues to speak to us, our shepherd. His voice is here in the words and the pages of Scripture. His voice is there when Christian brothers and sisters gather around one another and we admonish one another and we encourage one another in the faith. His voice is there and when we listen to that voice, we will experience right now a taste of the kingdom of God in our midst. Yes, only in part, right now. But in the future, we will receive it in full. We will inherit that kingdom. Because that's precisely what our shepherd wants to give to us. It's precisely what he has prepared for us. You know, if you look at these words in in the parable of the sheep and the goats, you'll notice something that's slightly different about what he says about the, the kingdom and who it's been prepared for and what he says about the eternal fire 
and who it's been prepared for. Take a look at, at verse 34 again. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Did you catch the difference? Who was the kingdom? Who is the kingdom prepared for? You. It is prepared for his sheep. But who does Jesus say the eternal fire, who does Jesus say the wrath of God is prepared for? The devil and his messengers. It wasn't prepared for human beings. God never intended for humanity to taste his wrath. God does not desire to judge you. God desires to rescue you. He sent His Son so that you would be a part of His flock. And those who experience wrath and punishment, they experience it because of their own choosing. God does not want to pour out judgment on you. He wants to pour out mercy. He wants to pour out grace. He wants to cover you in the blood of His Son, Jesus. And He simply asks that we would receive that by faith. We don't have a God who is mad at you, who resents you. Our God does not begrudgingly rescue people, but rescue and redemption, eternal life in his perfect, peaceable kingdom that is ruled by the mercy of our shepherd. That is what he wants to give to humanity. But we do still have to deal with the fact that Jesus says very plainly here that some will receive that eternal fire. That those who who reject this mercy will be subject to this punishment. You know, I think one of the the best things that that I've heard that that helped me understand what what Jesus is getting at here comes from uh, a Lutheran theologian by the name of Martin Franzman in his book, Follow Me. It's kind of a excursus on the book of Matthew. And, and I would actually say, if I were to recommend you one book that you should read, other than the Bible, about uh, discipleship and, and Christian living, it would be this book, Follow Me by Martin Franzman. And, and here's what he says about what Christ says in this parable. It says, It is here at the judgment, in the returning of Christ, that the disciples come to know the last full measure of the mercy of God. They hear it in the verdict which the Christ pronounces on those who would have none of that mercy. 
Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The eternal fire was not made for man. God sent his Christ that all men might be saved. When men refused the messianic mercy, they thwart God's wide and sweeping purposes, commit themselves to the enemy of God, and make an alien doom their own. Here the disciples learn how great a thing divine forgiveness is. They learn it of the Christ. The Christ remembers only the good that they have done and sees in their poor little deeds of mercy, which they themselves would never dare to plead, their yea to him. All that was bad or broken in their lives is now as if it, had all, as if it all had never been. And God's long counsels of salvation reach their goal in them. Come blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The Christ is come. In him the kingdom long prepared for them has come. In him they have eternal life. He is their hope of glory. I don't usually like to end a sermon with a question. But as we enter into the season of Advent next Sunday... Uh, which is a season of, of longing and, and waiting and expectation. Uh, in light of this text, there, there's just sort of one question that, that I couldn't get out of my head. And it was just simply this. What kingdom do you long for? What kingdom do you long for? Do you long for the kingdom that is ruled by anger and hatred and vindictiveness? Do you long for the kingdom that, that is ruled by the harshness and judgment that we so often choose? Do you long for the kingdom that, that we choose when we live our lives enslaved to the flesh and then enslaved to our passions? Is that the kingdom that you really want? Is that the kingdom that you long for? Because even though it pains him to do it, if that's what we want, our God will give it to us. But no matter how many times we have chosen that kingdom that is ruled by the enemy of God, our shepherd is still standing there inviting us to come and taste and come and experience a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that isn't ruled by harshness or judgment or vindictiveness, but is ruled by mercy and grace and love. It's the kingdom that's ruled by, by our merciful shepherd Jesus who gives his life for us who looks at broken sinners and he doesn't hold their wrongs against them. But at that same time, those, those tiny little insignificant works of mercy, those he says yes to. He looks at those and he says, you did that for me. In his word, at the table, he's inviting us to, to taste and experience that kingdom. He's prepared it for you from the foundation of the world. <laughs>
through his cross and, and his empty tomb, he is inviting you to come and inherit that kingdom. Amen? Amen.